So we're going to start in Revelation 22, verse 1, and we're going to walk through some things together, and I'll explain what we're going to be doing as we move through this introduction together. This is what I'm going to present over the next few weeks is something that the Lord has dealt with me in over the past couple of years that I have put together. In fact, if you've heard me over the past couple of years, some of this is going to sound somewhat familiar, but now that I have a few weeks, it's an opportunity to, to, to unpack some of this. And, it, and it's been extremely helpful for me to, to understand my own spiritual growth and how I can continue to grow spiritually. And I'm, and I'm hoping if it helped me as much as it has, it will help you as well. If it doesn't help you, feel free to get you a quick little nap as we move through this together. All right. Revelation 22.1 says this, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And of the Lamb. So we find out in the book of Revelation, we see that God created a river that flows out from his throne. Now, God makes rivers. Now, for those of us that are engineers, maybe you're in the room and you're a civil engineer um, or you're a mathematician, you know that the shortest distance between two points is a what? Man, y'all, you good. You did good. The shortest distance between two points is a, gra- is a straight line. We're all clear on that, correct? So if, if I'm wanting to connect the Atlantic Ocean with the Pacific Ocean, so I don't have to travel all the way down and go around Argentina, you know, to make it into the Pacific Ocean, I'm going to find the narrowest possible piece of land, which anybody knows where that is? Panama, right? I'm going to find a narrow piece of land, and I'm going to, like, find the narrowest part, and then I'm going to set my little um, thingy-bajiggy, and I'm going to aim it straight, and I'm going to build something to connect the Atlantic and the Pacific. What am I going to build? I'm going to build a canal. It's got to be straight. It's got to be perfect. The shortest distance between two points, because that's the most efficient. It's the most economical. It's the most pragmatic. It's the most logical. How many of you realize that's not how God operates? Man builds canals, God builds rivers. So when you're on your journey with God, we imagine that it's going to follow the laws of pragmatics, logic, efficiency, and civil engineering. But that's not how God operates. God builds rivers. Have you ever felt like you were going in one direction, then you're going the other direction? That's because you're in the river of God. Ezekiel has this incredible vision of the river of God, and we're being invited in deeper and deeper and deeper till we're caught up into the river. So we realize then, so God does everything that way, and there is a river of discipleship, how we grow as believers. And as I was praying through this a couple of years ago, and getting understanding of how, where, how do we understand our own spiritual growth? And I believe the river looks like this. I believe it's information to revelation to transformation. Information, revelation to transformation. That we first and foremost, as we begin to grow, we begin to learn, we start off the initial part of the river is information. God has built us with the ability to receive information through our what? Our eyes by what we read and through our ears by what we hear. And this can come through a variety of ways, can it? Through through how we study, through listening to sermons, through experiences, all kind of examples on, on, on how we receive information. And we're always receiving information continually and constantly on a number of subjects. You're here tonight, and we're talking about the Bible, and right now your cognitive mind is receiving information through the ear gate, in some degree the eye gate. It's coming in. You are processing information. And with information comes some degree of understanding. That's part of the goal, isn't it? We gain information to get a little bit better understanding. Let's just look at a, look at a couple of passages here. Not all of them in your, in your notes. Just going to point a few of them out. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him 
in whom they have not believed, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a what? Preacher. So somebody has to convey information to people who've never heard so they can receive the information and be able to respond to it. It's important for us to put ourselves in a position to receive information. 2 Timothy 3.16, I like this passage. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. So we need to be in the process of, of, of continually putting ourselves in situations to receive information in order to grow spiritually. That's the first step on the river. But it can't stop right there. Have you ever noticed that just receiving information is not enough? It's not enough, is it? In fact, we know a lot of things informationally that is not really affecting us. How many of you probably know how to eat right? Like you know how to eat healthy. You have that information. You know it's good for you to eat healthy. But how many of you pull through Burger King and get the triple and onion rings? And we do that. I mean, we have the information of what we should be doing, but just because we have the information doesn't necessarily mean it's transforming us. In fact, I dare say most of us probably have a ton of information that we're not doing anything with. So it has to convert to something meaningful for us. Even some understanding is not enough. Information can give us some understanding, but that by itself is not enough either. 1 Corinthians 8.1, this is a bit of a scary passage. We know that all of us possess knowledge. We all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So it's possible to have a lot of knowledge and information, and it's only producing pride and arrogance in us. Have you ever been around somebody that knows more than you do about everything? Don't you love being around people like that? No matter what subject you bring up, they're going to know more than you know about it. Ever been? So that's what happens. When we just acquire information and knowledge, it can be a conduit for, for pride and not real transformation. But what builds up? Love builds up. And we don't gain love just through information alone. Something else needs to happen. So the river starts with us receiving information, but it needs to move from the outer to the inner. We got to get it inside of us. There must be a conversion from what we hear into the deep places in who we are. And sometimes we get, quite frankly, clogged up and it doesn't ever get beyond the cerebral cortex into the deepest places of who we are. Now check this verse out. Psalm 51, 6, David is praying this prayer. He's saying, behold, you, God, desire truth, where? In the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. So David's understanding something here, that we need to get this information out of our head and and deep inside of who we are, our, our heart, which is really our, our soul, the spiritual part of us that's deep, the deep in us that's calling out to the deep in God. We've got we to gotta get the information converted to something that's affecting us deep inside. It can't just stay up here. You might can win Bible trivial pursuit that way. Our Bible Pictionary that way. You might can impress the pastor or the Sunday school teacher that way, but it's not really doing anything for you by just being able to have a lot of information up here. So, how do we get it deeper? Look at Hebrews 4 2, another familiar passage. For indeed, we have good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. And we need to really dial in here because this, this is the point in which we need to get to in order to take all this stuff that you know. I mean, there's probably, how many of you have been in the, um, how many of you have been involved in church for more, let's say, than five years? Look at that. How many for more than 10 years? All right, that's a lot of, so, there's, there's probably 
there's probably 500 years of, of church experience in the room. How many sermons do you think you've heard? Oh, Jesus. How, how many Bible studies have you been to? How many things have you read? I mean, just, we have just, we are gluttons so often, right? Of just so much information that gets in here. And I wonder what percentage of it has moved from here down into here. Now pay attention to Hebrews 4 again. For indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. So there has to be an exchange. Information has to convert to this beautiful thing called truth. And the medium of, of exchange is faith. You have to believe what you hear. And then the information then becomes what? Truth. So what is faith? Faith is the is the medium of exchange. So often the problem is we really don't believe what we're hearing. We really don't believe it because it's not affecting us. Because we know, and we'll see in a minute, that we shall know the, the truth, and the truth shall make us free. So we really don't believe it. At least I didn't for a long time believe certain things that I thought I believed, but I really didn't believe them. I gave mental assent to it, but I didn't have active faith applied to what I was hearing from God's word to bring about the change. So we have to believe it. Faith is the key to exchange everything. But how do you access greater faith? Faith is a really big conversation. We all want more faith. Don't you want more faith? I want to increase my faith. I want to increase my ability to believe in everything that God has for us. But we need to get our minds wrapped around this beautiful thing called faith. If faith is the medium of exchange, then we got to do one important thing. We have to give up on having it all figured out. That's the hard part. Remember, if we are bringing to the conversation, I want God to lead me in a canal building project, and God is building rivers with my life, I have automatically set myself up for a lot of frustration in my journey following Jesus. Because I'm expecting a canal, and he's got me on the white water class four rapids going off the waterfall. And it doesn't make any sense to me. We have to give up on having everything figured out. You know Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. So faith brings what isn't seen into reality inside our heart. The central, it's central to understand, or the central to true understanding is to understand you will not understand everything. If you want to, the most meaningful thing you'll ever understand in life is that you need to understand you will never understand everything. You just got to get there. You just got to accept the fact that you're not going to understand everything. In fact, I'll just kind of give you this thought, that every one of us, needs a file cabinet in our brain. And the file cabinet is going to be labeled mystery. You really do. Everybody needs a file cabinet called mystery. You know why you need a file cabinet called mystery? Because things are going to happen that's not going to make any sense to you. You're going to pray prayers sometimes. You're going to stand in faith for certain things sometimes. And you're going to be convinced that thing's going to happen and it doesn't happen. And then you're faced with a choice. What am I going to do with that? I can't figure it out. I'm, I'm applying canal to a river building God, and I have to take that situation, and I got to put it in the file cabinet called mystery. None of us really likes, we like mysteries because we like to figure out the mystery, don't we? The fun part about reading a mystery is we know at the end we get to figure it out. Well, you're not going to figure out this mystery. Because you know why? Isaiah 55, 8 tells us exactly why we're not going to figure this out. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you see this? 
that we want to build a canal, God's going to build rivers. We're not going to understand everything. So if your faith is predicated on you understanding, you're never going to have very good faith. Now, this isn't very unusual because we do this all the time. For example, I don't know how this works. I really don't. This is my calendar. This is my spreadsheets. This is my contacts, social media. And this thing can actually make phone calls too. And I can dial a number and I can, I can talk to somebody in Hong Kong right now. I don't understand how that works. I don't understand it at all. I have faith it works, so I use it. If my use of this was predicated on my understanding of this, then I'm in serious trouble. We use things all the time. We do things all the time. We access things all the time, even though we don't understand them, don't we? So it's something we practically do in everyday life. So it's the same that applies in the spiritual as well, except even much more because God is so much bigger than we are. And we're not going to figure out everything. I promise you, you will save yourself a lot of difficulty in life if you really buy the file cabinet that's labeled mystery. And things that you don't figure out, you put it in the file cabinet and say, that's just a mystery. I'm not going to get it. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to God. And there are certain things he's just not going to tell us. Have you ever had a child? Who's ever been a parent before? Has, has, has your little kid ever asked you something? Remember when they went to the why stage? Who, who remembers the why stage with your kids? Why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why, 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 why? Did you ever find yourself as a parent saying, because I said so? Because you recognized your five-year-old did not have the cognitive ability for you to sit down and break it down to them. They just didn't. Have you ever been to the grocery store and seen a mom trying to reason with a three-year-old? Ever seen this? It's really amazing to watch. They're trying to explain to them why you're not supposed to pee on the cereal box. It's just not appropriate. And they're sitting there, they're going through all the reasons, the germs and the bacteria and all these things. And you're thinking, you know, all the little child needs is to be taken to the bathroom and spanked. Don't try to reason with a three-year-old. I think God so oftentimes looks at us exactly like that. Sometimes we are not going to get omniscience. We're not going to get infinite. We're not going to get omnipotence. We're not going to get any of that. And sometimes God just has to tell us, because I said so. And it just has to be okay. It just has to be okay because we have to trust our Heavenly Father that we think basically two-dimensionally, and he's thinking multi-dimensionally. And he sees things different from us. Have the file cabinet that says that. And then we can access greater faith if we don't build our faith on everything that we have to understand because God, we're never going to understand everything. So the flow of a river is different than that of a canal. But think about it. If you're going to go whitewater rafting, do you want to raft down a canal or do you prefer a river? Canal would be rather boring, wouldn't it? Going through the locks, up and down, not very exciting. If you've ever been on a cruise and going through the Panama Canal, it's just, you know, it's not the most exciting thing. But who, who's ever been whitewater rafting? Who likes whitewater rafting? Now, isn't, who's there, is it fun? Isn't it great? Love whitewater rafting. It's exhilarating. It's fun, especially if you have the guide in the raft with you. If you take off with the guide, you could be in trouble. But if you have the guide in the raft with you, it's so much more fun. It's so much more enjoyable being on the river of what God's doing. You've got the rapids. You've got the slow part. You've got the parts that are deep. It's just a, it's just a, great, it's a great experience. But our problem is we are influenced by our Roman Greek thinking, Greco-Roman thinking. The Greeks did a lot for us, as did the Romans, but it gave us something that's not very helpful when it comes to our understanding of faith. We have a Greek-Roman mind. We don't have an Asian mind. Asian minds are able to deal with tension much better than us. Our Greek-Roman minds, we like to have everything figured out. Alphabetized, systematized, categorized, numeratized. I mean, we, got it. we have one it all figured out, labeled, but that's not how things work, is it? So it goes right against who we are, but we're going to find in the journey with God, it's actually much more fun getting in the river than it is staying in the canal way of thinking. 
It's more enjoyable being on the ride with him. Here's a quote from G.K. Chesterton. I like this. He says, and the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. For good things to run wild. He goes on to say, as long as you have mystery, you have health. When you destroy mystery, you create morbidity. Indigenous humans have always been sane because they have always been mystic. They permit the twilight. Hear what I'm saying? That able to accept the mystery and deal with the mystery. I like the way he says about Christianity gives enough rules to let good things run wild. Good things run wild. Following God is an incredible adventure. There's a word that's used to describe things in nature. It's called chaotic. Have you ever, has everybody heard the word chaotic before? Chaotic. It's, comp- it's kind of a new word. It's comprised of the word called chaos and the word called order. You mix chaos and order, it becomes chaotic. So you see these things in nature. If you look at a tornado, it's very chaotic, isn't it? But yet, at its atomic level, it's very ordered in what it's doing from a, from a physics standpoint. So it's the blending together of chaos and order coming together. So Paul would say it this way, I want all things to be done, but in decency and in order. In 1 Corinthians 14. So when we approach the things of God, he likes all things being done, but he likes it in decency and order. Therefore, it's very chaotic. So if you and I are expecting our Christian life to be this nice, trim, rosy path that's well-ordered, highly predictable, that's not what it is. We're on a river with God, and it is an exciting river. So what begins to happen is then God begins to do things. He begins to say things to us that we don't understand, but yet we choose to believe them by faith. And the medium of faith converts all these things that we're hearing into truth. And then truth becomes revelation. That's where we want to get. We want to get this information we're receiving converted to this thing called revelation. That's where we want to get to revelation. Many of us don't have nearly enough revelation in our life. We have a lot of information, but not enough revelation. Information is incarnated into everyday life through revelation. The information we receive is incarnated into our daily life when it becomes revelation to us by faith. Now we're going to see in a couple of weeks why this is so important because there's a lot of Bible verses that we're going to talk about that you and I really don't believe. And I'm going to be able to prove it to you. We can say we do. We think we do because we have it as information, but it's not revelation because there's no transformation to prove we actually believe it. So we have to get it in our hearts and get it into revelation. I'll say that again. Information is incarnated into everyday life through revelation. So our quest and our goal is said, Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need greater revelation of your word, not just information. When I was in graduate school, I had a professor that taught Old Testament history. And I was convinced, and I, I, I have reason to believe, that this guy did not know Jesus. He was not even saved. Yet he was a Bible scholar, a Hebrew scholar, an Old Testament scholar. But when he would teach, he was teaching the Bible as information with the absence of any revelation. And it was dry, and it was dead, and it was horrible. Even though he was talking about God's Word, it was coming from a place of information and not coming from a place of revelation. There's a dramatic difference in those two things, and we don't want to confuse the two things. We've got to get it inside us into revelation. This isn't unusual. John 1 says that, that the Word became flesh and dwelt where? Among us. So Jesus, the Word, he became flesh and then dwelt among us. Because our, think about it, our, our goal is not the acquisition 
of more data. Our goal is to get to know a person, not information. And when we really understand man, because that's, that, that's our goal. And the word of God helps us to get to know a person. Like my wife, you know, I can learn how to be a better husband, but, but my wife did not come with a manual. Do these 10 things, she'll be happy. Don't do these 10 things and she'll be happy. And I mean, and so I, if I could just follow this list and then I could, I could just keep her happy. Wouldn't you like it? If, if there's a married men in the room, wouldn't it be wonderful that, that if, your, if your wife came with like a simple to-do list, if I just follow these things, if I get six out of 10 right, I'm going to be okay. It didn't, it didn't happen. Because then there would be no relationship between the two people. If, 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 if all I did was keep a list to make her happy, I would not be forced in a situation where relationship has to happen. That's why God in his word did not give us just a manual of a list of things to do to make him happy or to make us happy because he desires relationship with us. So everything he gives us in his word through revelation is that we might know the person of Jesus. The word, the logos, right, became the rhema, the living word. He is a person. He is a person. Now, Luke 24, 45, you might remember this account. It's, it's, it's the account of the road to Emmaus. I don't have a time to read the whole passage, but you remember the two disciples, one was named Cleopas. Jesus had been resurrected. They're walking back home to Emmaus. Jesus appears on the road, and he's, you know, walking along with them. And they understand at the end of the trip who he is. And they say this about their experience with walking with Jesus. It says, then he, Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Now, note this. This is what Cleopas said, the disciple. He said, then he opened their minds. Jesus, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Who was opening their minds? Jesus. So who's going to teach us the scriptures? Jesus, of course, by the Spirit, but Jesus. So the reason we need to get to know Jesus as a person, he's the one by the Spirit that's going to open our mind to the Bible. Trying to understand the Bible without Jesus, Holy Spirit, teaching the Bible, you're never going to get any revelation from that. You're going to get information, you're never going to get revelation because Jesus loves to teach the Bible to us. He's the, he is a great teacher. The Holy Spirit has come to remind us and to be the teacher in Jesus' stead. So in other words, it's, 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 it's kind of like this. It's not enough to just read and look at a menu you need to order the food and eat it. It's the difference in just taking a menu and reading it and thinking about eating it, but leaving the restaurant with just a menu in your hand and you never eat a meal. Does that make any sense? So that's the difference between information and revelation. Information is just reading the menu. Revelation is ordering off the menu and eating what you just ordered. You know, you can trace everything back. Food has analogies for everything. It just always, it just like always works. So do you, do you see the river? We're, we're, we're always acquiring information. We're disciplining our lives to read, to study, to hear sermons, all those things, getting information, and then we need to begin to believe by faith what we're hearing. It becomes truth, and it becomes revelation to us. Revelation in the Greek is apocalypsis. It actually means laying bare or uncovering. If you go to a fancy restaurant... Ever been to a fancy restaurant and they bring you the meal and it's sort of covered up with this nice, you know, stainless steel topper and you don't know what it is? They like set it down in front of you. There's just anticipation. What's under it? It's like, you know, let's make a deal with food. You know, you just, they just, and they just uncover it and then you see, right? You see the filet mignon with the grilled asparagus and the twice baked potato. I mean, you just see it right there. Can you just taste it? You can like see it and you experience. That's what apocalypsis means. It means the unveiling or the uncovering of something so you can see it. So I believe in my mind, how do you know, is there like a, is there like a test when you know you're experiencing revelation? How do you, how do you know when the conversions happened? Is there like a measuring stick? Is there like a, is there like a thermometer where you can figure it out? Is there like a, some kind of strip you can test it? Sort of, at least this is how it works with me. And it might work this way with you. For me, Revelation feels like an aha moment. 
That's what it feels. Do you know what, a, do you know what an aha moment is? I like to use the example, if you can think back when you were in school and you were taking like algebra or pre-algebra, how many of you love math? How many of you just love math? God bless you. I loathed math. I really loathed math. I can remember when I was in um, high school, Coach Crow was my algebra one and algebra two teacher. This was Coach Crow. So Coach Crow was not a good teacher for one thing. So Coach Crow would hand out the tests. He would hand the test out and he would leave the room for 45 minutes, and he would come back. That's how he did his test. Hand out the test, leave the room, come back in 45 minutes. So guess what do you think our little ninth and 10th grade selves did? (laughs) Cheryl Mize was sitting right next to me. So Cheryl pretty much did my Algebra 1 and Algebra 2 class the entire time. I really thought I was something special. I got through, and then came that daunting day in my college Algebra class. You know, you will reap what you sow. And I'm sitting in my college algebra class. The teacher hands out the books. And I start looking through the first few chapters. And I get this, like, real sinking feeling because there's no Cheryl Mize next to me. I said, oh, no, I'm in deep trouble. And then she gets up and says, and we're going to skip the first 13 chapters because you covered that in high school. Pain. I'm just confessing this to you. I feel better now confessing this to you. Painful. But I managed to get through the algebra class. But I can remember moments when she was teaching algebra, and I was, like, struggling. I had to get a tutor. I had, to, like, I had a lot to catch up on. And I'm sitting there watching the equations, and I'm just struggling, struggling, struggling. But then she would do something, and all of a sudden, you would get it. Remember math class? You'd be like, oh, I see it. And you, and, you could, and you could just figure it out. It's that, like, it's that aha moment. Oh, I finally see it. That's how revelation feels. It's like an aha moment you experience with the Lord as he's showing you things in his word. And aha moments feel great. And it's okay to feel okay. God likes our, God's an emotional being too. It's okay to feel revelation. It's exciting. God speaks to us. I remember another aha moment. You know, aha moments happen in a multiplicity of ways. My wife and I were riding to the airport to pick up somebody. And it was one of those moments where I'm driving, and she's riding with me. It's about a 45-minute trip to the airport, and she is just going off about something, about all these issues she's having, this and that, and work stuff, and just going off. And I'm just being the dutiful husband, listening. And so after about 20 minutes, I make a decision to solve all of her problems. I say, how benevolent of me, you know, and gracious of me to just, just methodically take the last half of the trip to the airport to just go through one by one. Honey, you need to do this for this situation. You can do this for this one, this one, this one. And I, and I got through my like, little 20-minute lecture, and I really thought I had done her an enormous favor by just solving all these issues that she was making known to me. Well, we got to the airport, and we pulled up to the curb, waiting on somebody to come out, and I'm, never, I'm feeling really satisfied. And then she looks at me with this, like, disgusted her eye and just disgusted. And this is what she says to me. She says, she says, can't I at least vent to you? And I want you to know, you could have slapped me silly because in that moment, revelation hit. Because <laughs> I realized I actually heard what she was saying. She wasn't wanting me to fix everything. She was just wanting me to listen to her. And there's a big difference in those two things. But I remember in that moment in time, I mean, revelation hit my heart. And I was like, oh, I think I finally learned something. As a married man, I got it. I'm not not batting a thousand yet, but I think I really get something. It's like an aha moment. It's revelation. It hits us like that. Here's another example. How many of you ever lost your car keys? Or lost your, like somebody, ever lost your car keys? You're not, like you go through seasons in life where you lose your car keys. It kind of runs in threes. It does for me. If I lose them once, I know I'm going to lose them two more times in the next month. It just always happens. But you lose your car keys, and you're trying to find them, and then somebody always comes up to you with that great advice and says, well, where did you leave them last? Well, like, if I, had, if I knew the answer to that question, I would find the keys. Therein lies the problem. I don't know where I left them last. And you're looking, 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 and then... You're looking around, and, and then you, maybe, maybe you forget about it. 
and then you um, are walking in the hallway and you notice when you're walking by the washing machine, you notice you set the keys on the little counter right next to the washing machine and you see it and what floods into your mind is, oh, that's right, I was carrying in the groceries and I had it in my hand and I set it right here. In other words, the remembrance of it comes back. Ever had that moment? That's called Revelation. Or that's how it feels. And when God begins to give you revelation, when you begin to hear information, you begin to apply your faith to it, and you begin to gain revelation, it becomes light to you. It's like a, it's like a flash of light in your heart and in your, in your soul. Psalm 119, 130, David says it this way, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Don't you feel simple at times? The unfolding, listen, the unfolding of your word gives light. That's what happens. When the word becomes revelation, it is unfolded to us and it brings light to us. And his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path because the word is incarnated in us through revelation. You see? And it's exciting when God starts giving you revelation and you begin approaching the word of God that way, asking Jesus to show me things in your word to teach me. Sometimes you got to chew a bit. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like eating jello. Sometimes it's like eating, a, you know, a tough piece of brisket. Sometimes you got to chew a little more. Sometimes it swallows down easy. But ultimately what happens is God reveals to you as you study his word. I love that verse. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So how does it look? If you ever come to the prayer room, you know, one of the things that we often pray over there is from Ephesians 1.17. It's kind of one of the um, hallmark passages we go to. And this is a prayer that Paul prayed. And I promise if you begin praying this prayer, if you begin actively praying this prayer, you're going to begin experiencing revelation. James says we have not because we, so in order to have, we should start asking, we should start praying the word. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and so forth and so on. You see that? That a spirit of wisdom and revelation unto what? The knowledge of him. Remember, revelation of God's word is going to enhance your revelation of him because this is the person we're getting to know is Jesus. He, it's really all about him. The Bible is all about getting to know him. Remember, the goal is not winning Bible trivial pursuit. The goal is not that you got 25 verses memorized and you feel really good about yourself. If those 25 verses you've memorized is not enhancing your ability to know Jesus, then it's not accomplishing what it was intended to accomplish. There's no revelation on it. I believe for many of us, myself included, I know a lot of Bible that I don't have revelation on yet. I know a lot of scripture. I know a lot of facts. I know a lot of data that I don't have much revelation on yet. And I got to go back, right, and remember these things and ask God to give me revelation on that. It is in this place information converts to truth, thus becoming revelation, for it has moved from now from the outer to the inner. This is not an obscure thing in scripture. It is pervasive throughout the Bible. Check this out, John 8, 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed. Everybody say, had believed. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So you see, we all know that verse, but you know, verse 32 is preceded by verse 31. It just kind of works that way. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had what? Believed him. They had to believe. They had to have faith in him to continue in his words to be truly disciples. And then it becomes truth and the truth sets them free. This verse does not say you shall know information and facts and it shall make you free. 
Notice the medium of faith is being used here to convert Jesus' words to truth. They heard him, they believed him, it became truth to them, and it set us free. So our prayer should be like this, Lord, don't just educate us, encounter us. Don't just educate us, encounter us. That's the basis of our prayer. I'm not going to get encountered with information. I'm going to be encountered by a person. I'm going to be encountered by an experience. If our education of God's word is not leading us to an encounter with the person of Jesus, we're missing the whole point of of everything. We've missed it all. Our education is important, but it should be bringing us into an encounter with Jesus. But someone once said, we have educated ourselves into stupidity. We become so smart and so educated with so much knowledge, it has puffed us up in all kinds of pride, which has led to all kinds of problems, i.e. denominations and whatnot, because we know so much. But our goal is not the acquisition of knowledge, it is to know the person of Jesus. We see this fascinating guy by the name of Paul the Apostle who was really smart. Paul was smart. He had a pretty, pretty amazing pedigree. He was Hebrew of Hebrews. He was trained by Gamaliel, one of the, one of the, one of the greats. I mean, this man was, was smart. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was a rising star amongst the Pharisees, the leading religious group in that day. I mean, he was, he was the guy. He had, he had a future. Remember in Acts chapter 9, what happened? He was encountered by the person of Jesus, knocked him off the horse, and Jesus asked him a question. Saul, why do you persecute me? And what did Saul say? Well, who are, who are you? I'm Jesus. So Paul began, he was born into the kingdom with an encounter with Jesus which set him free from all kind of religion. And that would alter the entire trajectory of his life. And it would bring Paul to this incredible place in 1 Corinthians 2. He's, he's writing to the church in Corinth that he happened to start. And he, and he just says, he says, listen, I guys, you know, when I came to you to start the church, I didn't come to you with eloquence and words of wisdom of man and all these things. I didn't, I didn't come to you with my pedigree. I, I came to you in 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 weakness and and fear and trembling. And he says, not claiming to know anything, but in Jesus Christ and him crucified, but in the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on man's wisdom, but in the power of God. So you think about that for a second. What brought this incredible intellect who authored over two-thirds of the New Testament, what brought him to a place where he said, I don't know anything but Jesus. Because he encountered Jesus. And he knew it was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. To know him, knowing him is really everything. He really is. He's absolutely everything. Now here's the, here's the, here's the trick and we'll begin to land the plane. Everybody still hanging on? I know it's a lot to digest, right? We're on the river of discipleship. We're moving. We're figuring out all this information. How do we get the information to convert to revelation? We, gotta ha- we have to believe it. It becomes truth. We have these aha moments with the Lord. The word becomes light to us. We start receiving revelation, but change has not necessarily happened yet. Just because revelation comes does not necessarily mean you've changed yet. Revelation must convert to transformation. So the river looks like this. Information converting to revelation, then it converts down to transformation because that's what we're after. We ultimately want transformation. So revelation must convert to transformation via one little word that many of us don't like. It's called obedience. Just because God gives you revelation on things doesn't necessarily mean transformation comes. You have to obey. It's not enough just to be a hearer of the word. We have to be what? A doer of the word. There are lots of people with some pretty fantastic revelations on things, but they are living an untransformed life because they're not obeying the revelation they have. 
And we want to land the train in true transformation. So then we got to have this thing called obedience. Revelation becomes transformation by obedience. Obedience explores what revelation provides. I say it that way. Obedience will explore what the revelation of God's word provides for us. We begin to obey what the Lord reveals to us. We used to, um, when we raised our kids, they're all grown and gone now. But um, we used to watch the um, VCR. Remember, remember VCRs? Like video, video, remember those? So there was this guy called the Donut Man. Does anybody remember the Donut Man? Am I the only? Boy, we really tormented our children, I guess. So there was this guy called the Donut Man. He had these, like, you know, cute little Christian songs. And there was one that we'd always play for our kids. There was a donut man. He was singing, he was singing, you know, O-B-E-Y, obey your mom and dad. O-B-E-Y makes them very glad. Listen to the words they say, obey your parents every day. O-B-E-Y, obey your mom and dad. I love that song. I would sing it to my kids all the time. That's a great song. Obey your mom and dad. Words, but when you hear the word obedience, it doesn't necessarily set off a lot of warm fuzzies inside. Because, I mean, there's something in our flesh that doesn't like to obey. So part of our, our spiritual act of worship, right? If, I, if, if I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice of worship, it means I'm offering my body in obedience to the revelation that I receive to begin, walk it out so my mind then can be renewed. That's how the process works. Obedience requires death. I got I to gotta die, right? I have to die for this to happen. So obedience involves this quickly. One, it involves free will. You get to choose to do this. God's not going to force himself on you. People say God is sovereign. Who, who believes God is sovereign? What does sovereign mean? God's in control. But you even have to be careful with that. Yeah, God's in control, but there's a better definition of sovereignty. Sovereignty is freedom. God is the only person in the universe that's truly free. Not hindered or encumbered or bound by any restrictions. God is truly free. The very nature of his character is freedom. And out of his sovereign freedom, he gives us what? Freedom. He extends to us freedom. The ability to make choices and to live within the consequences of those choices based on the freedom he gives us. Do you see the difference? There's an important nuance there. Because just to say God is sovereign and in control of everything is a very narrow definition of the sovereignty of God. Because if that's all you have, it's going to really fill up your um, mystery cabinet. Because does God control everything? Yeah, but... Because if God is sovereign, then we can't hang God on every bad thing that happened. Every child molester, every murder, every crime, everything that goes on, because God did not cause all that. Remember, God is free. He gave freedom. We live within the freedom he gave us, and we live within the consequences of our own decisions. You see that? Now, sometimes in his mercy, he forgives us, and he steps in, and he intervenes. But much of life, is it not lived within, within the ramifications of our choices? Would you say that's true? Because God gave us freedom. So we have this free will that God gives us so we can, we can choose to obey. And oftentimes, it's going to involve some degree of repentance. Because when God grants you revelation, you're going to find out something that you're probably believing a lie about something. That something you believed is not true. God just gave you revelation on something, and you got to repent for believing something that wasn't true about God or about yourself or about the world around you. Lord, I repent of that. I want to obey that. In other words, I could have got the revelation from my wife sitting at the airport when she communicated to me, sometimes she just needs to vent. I could have heard that. I could have got the revelation, but it was up to me whether I was going to appropriate that revelation next time she did the same thing. I could either appropriate it or I could disregard it. We have to do it. Now, I want to give you a quick warning here. Now, remember our little graph, right? You have information converting to revelation. The end result is transformation. We'll see in a moment. Information converts to revelation because we have to believe by faith. It becomes truth. And then it becomes revelation. Then we have to obey the revelation. Then we end up with true transformation. Here's a little danger. You, gotta really, you, gotta, you, need, you need to see this. 
You don't want to swap out obedience, all right, with faith. In other words, you don't want to obey information. You want to have faith information. What's the danger in just obeying information? It becomes this. It's obedience by obligation versus obedience by love. What can tend to happen, religion is born out of obeying rules and regulations, information, and not obeying revelation. That's the place where religion is born. You want to obey revelation, not random information. If our obedience is is out of obligation, it's not what God has in mind. Our obedience should be out of love. We obey from the place of love. Revelation begats love because it's revelation in knowing a person who is by definition love. You see that? So revelation will introduce us to Jesus who is love. Therefore, our obedience is birthed out of love and not out of obligation. Some of us have come from religious backgrounds where a lot of our obedience was out of sheer obligation. I have a list of expectations. I have to do this. And that's never the heart of God. That's not what he designed for any of this to be, for us to have a bunch of rules and regulations that we have to measure up to to make him happy. That if I don't cross every T and dot every I, God's going to slap me. And that's what religion propagates. That's why it takes Pharisees and religious structure to maintain all the complexity of all the religious laws. Religion requires a lot of maintenance and it needs a religious hierarchy to run the ship because it's so complicated. And the Pharisees had it all figured out. They had 413 commandments in the Old Testament that they had to fulfill. And it wasn't just the commandments. They had other commandments to protect those commandments. So they built fences around those commandments so they wouldn't mess it up. I remember in Israel, got on the wrong elevator on the Sabbath. You don't want to get on the wrong elevator in Israel on the Sabbath. You know why? Because the commandment says you don't light a fire on the Sabbath. Therefore... When you get on the elevator, if you, if you push the button and the little round thing lights up, that's considered lighting a fire. So therefore, if you get on the wrong elevator, it's going to stop at every single floor. So you don't have to light a fire. Now, they have the other elevator for the atheists in the room. But for the, for the real Jews, they're going to ride the elevator so they don't have to mash the button. Do you see how crazy it gets? So there's rules upon rules upon rules upon rules, and it takes the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the scribes that become the authorities of the law, and then Jesus steps on the scene and says, oh, you've missed the whole point. I can sum up all the laws, all the commandments, all the prophets. I'm going to boil it all down to just this. Love the Lord your God. And I'm just telling you what you already know from Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. And they're both tied directly to relationship. Knowing him and then knowing others fulfills everything. See, Jesus, when Jesus steps in, Jesus is the great simplifier. He's the great uncomplicator. If your life is feeling really complicated and really confusing, invite Jesus in. He'll simplify everything for you. He is the great fixer-upper. He comes right in and he simplifies everything. He never complicates. He will take your calculus right down to simple addition. Very, very fast. Jesus uncomplicates things. Religion complicates things. This is the birthplace of religion. If I'm just obeying information and not revelation, it's going to produce a self-righteousness in me and a knowledge that will puff up and not a love that builds up. Religion versus relationship, striving versus peace, my yoke versus his yoke, self-effort versus Jesus. That's the difference. You always want to obey revelation and not just because I told you to do something. Hear from God. Go into God's word. Let it be revelation to you and you will save yourself a lot of pain. Let me share this passage with you. It's so powerful. Colossians chapter 2. This is so worth meditating on. I'm going to read this to you. Just listen to this. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are religious things. Things which are mere shadow of what is to come. 
but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to the, to, to the, to the decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Clearly, that's a mouthful. That's worth going back over. We said last week, as you remember, when we got born again, when all of us got born again, we received two things. It wasn't like Saul of Tarsus who encountered Jesus. Wham! We probably received some real Jesus, and we received some religion. Whoever got to you first influenced you the most. We all had that process. We all got some Jesus, and we got some religion in us as well. And religion will destroy you. The letter will kill you. The letter of the law will destroy you. It will cripple all of us if we try to follow all these things. Don't do this and don't do that. And, you know, I um, asked somebody one time, I said, well, how, do you, how do you know you're a Christian? I asked a young person, and this was their response. I'm a Christian. Um, okay, I, 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 I don't go to any of our movies. I, I don't look at pornography. I don't date non-Christians. I don't, I don't. I mean, they, they probably rattled off about 10 things they didn't do. Their entire Christian life was being defined by what they don't do. Isn't that sad? That's, that is symptomatic of a person that is living under the bondage of religious thinking. My Christian life is not defined by what I don't do. My Christian life is defined by who I know and what I get to do. That's, that's the place that is kindness leads me to repentance. Man, I so want to free people from that thinking that, oh man, this is just drudgery serving Jesus because all these fun things I don't get to do. Listen, serving God is wonderful. Experiencing Jesus is powerful. There's nothing like revelation hitting our hearts and experiencing him. I mean, it's, it's just life-changing. And so listen, Jesus came primarily, and we've said this before, Jesus came primarily. He spent three years in ministry, and his primary focus, his primary purpose was to his own people, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. His primary purpose was delivering his people from religion. That was his primary purpose, to get his people out of religion. Jesus is still doing the same thing with us. He's coming to us today to deliver us out of religion because religion is getting in the way of relationship. He wants to know us. Well, the good news is if we begin to obey the truths that we move into, we experience this beautiful thing called transformation. How many want to get transformation? Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be what transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, what it, which is good and acceptable and perfect. True and lasting change only comes through revelation, renewing of your mind, not information. Information at best, this is an important point. I'm be close to being done. Information at best, right? Obeying information at best will only produce behavior modification. You know what behavior modification is? It's our vain attempt to bring about change through willpower. It's our vain attempt to bring about true change through the effort of our will. And according to how strong your will is, you can bring about some significant change in your life. That's true. But that's not what God is after. God's not after behavior modification. He's after transformation. It's the difference in being conformed and being transformed. Conform, schismatio, is to conform yourself to another's pattern of behavior. That I am going to emulate somebody else. 
I'm going to, through my act of will, I'm going to start acting like my hero over here by doing his workout routine, wearing what he wears, saying what, I'm going to adapt my behavior to conform to his. And that's behavior modification. But transformation, and you know this, is the word metamorpho, which is, we get the word what? Metamorphosis. It's the, it's the word that's used to describe the caterpillar that gets in the cocoon. What happens? He turns into a butterfly. He turns into somebody completely renewed. It means to change into another form. See, the goal of Jesus is not about getting your behavior to change. The goal of Jesus is to transform you into a new person. And we're going to see in the coming weeks, we start asking ourselves three basic questions. Who am I? What does God want? And why is it so difficult? We're going to answer these three questions. And the reason I laid this out for us today is because we're going to answer them at the level of information. Because many of us have information on these three questions. Who am I? What does God want? And why is it so difficult? But you're going to find, as I found, that I had a lot of information, but I didn't have much revelation on answering these questions. We're going to ask the Father to help us get greater revelation in answering these three simple questions. And what's going to happen is you're going to experience some beautiful transformation. You're going to discover that I, when you discover identity, who you are, it's going to produce in you an intimacy with the Lord that's going to introduce you to your inheritance in Christ that's ultimately going to produce your destiny. That's how it works. Identity reveals intimacy. Intimacy reveals inheritance. Inheritance produces destiny. But most questions we ask ourselves, what religion wants you to focus on, let's talk about your destiny first. We like flip it over. Destiny, what are you going to do, God? What's my destiny? No, that's not the question we're asking. That comes, that's, that's the byproduct. The product is identity and intimacy. That's the product. The byproduct is moving in inheritance and destiny. Once we know who we are and really what God wants and have a good, clear understanding why it's so difficult, then true transformation can begin to happen in every single one of us. And it's such a powerful thing when that begins. Amen? I know that's a lot of stuff. Everybody okay? Did you get the grid in your mind? Did you get, you can, you can start finding where you are on that. And this process never ends. It, this is a, it's a continuation for the rest of our life, moving from information to revelation to transformation. From information to faith to truth to revelation to obedience to transformation. It just, it's just, we're, we're all in that process all the time, continually. It helps me though when I know it, when I understand the grid, when I have like the parameters, the paradigm. No, there's no such thing as a perfect paradigm or a perfect model, but this one really helps me so I can kind of gauge where I'm at on it. And then the deepening of the revelation on each of these questions. Who am I? What does God want? And why is it so difficult? If I can get my mind and heart wrapped around the answers to those questions, then really I'm, I'm a I'm a free person, and I am rooted and grounded in the kind of revelation that will help me live in this hard place called planet Earth. Amen? Oh, thank you. All right. So you got your notes. You can go home and um, review them. Let me just uh, pray for us. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for truth. Thank you for truth. Lord Jesus, we want to know you. Lord, I am personally tired of the hamster wheel, of the acquisition of more and more information. Lord, I'm tired of that repetitious pursuit. Father, I'm tired, Lord. I'm tired, Lord, of hearing your words, your accusation against the people of your day that you would say, Jesus, you're ever hearing but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Hear that. That's an accusation Jesus said. He said, you're ever hearing but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, may that not be said of us. Father, may that not be said of me. God, I want to come to the knowledge of the truth. I want to hear and come to the knowledge of the truth. And the truth is not a piece of data. The truth is knowing you, is knowing you, Jesus. 
That when I see your word, I'm like Moses. This is Lord, I'm, I'm like Moses that prayed, Lord, teach me your ways. That the end result is that I might know you. Help us, Jesus. As your eyes are closed, I want to leave you just one little thought. Genesis chapter 12 records for us God calling Abram out of the land of Ur. You may remember the story. It was the birthplace of Abram, this, this man in, in, in whose loins, whose seed, every family on the earth would be blessed through this man. And God goes to Abram. He says, Abram, I'm, I'm calling you out of familiarity. I'm calling you away from your mom, your dad, everything that's familiar to you. And I'm taking you to a land that I will show you. I'm taking you to a land that I will show you. Now hear this as your eyes are closed. Many of us, myself included, I get preoccupied with the land. But the point of it is I will show you. Think about that. The point was really not about the land God was taking Abram to. The land was important, but the really important point was what God wanted all along. Abram, I, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. The point is, it's not the land or the car or the husband or the wife we're asking God for. It's not about where he's taking us. It's about who is taking us. It's about knowing him. So, Father, thank you. Bring us to that revelation that to know you, Jesus, is the destination. We have already arrived. There's nowhere left to go. You are the destination. To be in Christ is everything, Lord, everything. And where we go together is just a byproduct of really knowing you, Jesus. So, Father, as we go home tonight, I'm asking you specifically to give us dreams tonight. Let the old men and old women dream dreams. Let the young men and young women see visions. God, open our hearts even through dreams. God, that we can get greater revelation of who you are, who you are. Open our hearts. God, I pray that you move us into a season where our heart begins to inform our head and not our head, our heart. That, God, you move things into the place of revelation to the authority of your word, God, that changes us and transforms us. Give us a hunger and a thirst to allow you, Jesus, to deliver us from all religion, all traditions of man that are not anchored in truth, that are hindering us, that are yokes around our neck, that shut the kingdom of God in our face, that religion seeks to do when you are opening the door for us. So we love you. We honor you tonight. We, I pray a blessing over your sons and daughters. Be with them as they travel home. In Jesus' name, amen.